are listening to a podcast from C3 Church Wallandilly. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash C3 Wallandilly. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so wonderful to be here. And uh, yeah, Brennan and I are absolutely thrilled. And uh, we'd like to thank Pastor Jill and Pastor Rowan for inviting us here today. They're two of my favourite people in the whole world, and I'm constantly inspired by how they're living their lives as followers of Jesus, um, and by all that he's doing through them in building two really significant churches uh, in this region. Uh, I believe that they and their team, your team, are on the cutting edge um, of leadership and really equipping the church to flourish uh, in our current culture. I love the Christians in Culture um, podcast that's been started and, uh, you know, just community initiatives. I just love everything about you guys. And uh, why don't we thank your fantastic senior ministers. Thanks also to Pastor Ivana and Pastor Terry uh, for having us here at Picton this morning. I, I am really loving this series of one. I've particularly enjoyed listening to the podcast from the last two weeks, or, and yours as well, Rowan, but the last two weeks from Pastor Ivana, how great uh, were those messages on gender equality. I'm a firm believer that God created men and women in equal partnership uh, and uh, to be equal in all spheres of life, including marriage. And um, I'm so blessed to have been married for, to Brennan for nearly 25 years. And uh, we've championed each other. And I know that Brennan's my greatest supporter uh, as I've led our church for the past nine years. So uh, we're just really enjoying uh, this journey together. And isn't it fantastic? You know, the kingdom is men and women in partnership together. I absolutely love that. So... So if I haven't met you before, chances are that you might have yelled at me on the phone or possibly hung up on me at some stage. As Jill mentioned, I'm a freelance voiceover artist and uh, I'm the voice on the end of uh, many of your calls to various companies and agencies, letting you know that this call may be recorded for quality insurance purposes, you know, quality and training purposes. For more information, please press one. So that's me on the end, you know. So you probably have yelled at me at some point or, you know, <laughs> yeah. The wait time is approximately 30 minutes. You're like, see ya. Uh, I once had a friend call me on his mobile and he's like, I've been listening to you for like half an hour. And I just thought I'd give you a call. Anyway. Well, anyway, my message today is titled The Jesus I Know, and I'm going to be looking at the intersection of the gospel and human rights. I love the key scripture that you've been using in this series, Galatians 3.28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, right? It's through Jesus and his work on the cross that God's original plan for humanity has been restored. And as we study Jesus, his heart of love, grace, compassion, and mercy for the poor, the outsider, the disenfranchised, that's what's revealed to us is the heart of God the Father. Because just as he called us to be one in Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. I think that, you know, God the Father often gets a bit of a bad rap for being harsh and uncaring. But the truth is that his character is just the opposite. John 12 from verse uh, 44 and 45 in the message says, Jesus summed it up when he cried out, whoever believes in me believes not just in me, but in the one who sent me. Whoever looks at me 
is in fact looking at the one who sent me. So today we're going to be looking at some examples from the earthly life of Jesus, but I want to be really clear, these are examples of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our God is a God of justice, love, mercy, generosity, and compassion. In fact, there, were over, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible relating to the themes of justice and poverty. Isn't that incredible? So before we jump in, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of justice, of love, of mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent your only son so that we could be in right relationship with you. And Lord, we thank you for this series, One, and uh, pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you'll be upon my words today, and uh, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive your word afresh. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Well, one of the greatest justice scriptures, I think, in the Old Testament is found in Micah chapter 6, and uh, from verses 6 to 8, with what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with year-old calves, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? You might have a slightly different, um, a slightly different um, translation here, but with many torrents of oil, should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? But he has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, embrace faithful love and walk humbly with your God. Other translations read, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. God is a God of justice, and it's his heart's cry that we as people made in his image would be the same. Throughout the centuries, the church has often been a catalyst for human rights and social change. Christians have been responsible for bringing an end to the transatlantic slave trade, setting up schools and teacher training colleges, as well as hospitals and nursing schools, just to name a few things. They've been involved in negotiating better pay and working conditions for people, securing the right to vote. Many of the suffragettes were actually Christians um, and brokering peace agreements between nations. Eleanor Roosevelt, the former First Lady of the United States who oversaw the drafting of the Universal Declaration for Human Rights in 1948, was a Christian herself. This is the document that sets out the fundamental human rights for every person, which are to be universally protected. I love the very beginning of the preamble of the Declaration for Human Rights. It reads, recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. And we don't have time today to read through all 30 articles in the Declaration of Human Rights. But even if we look at just two or three of them, we can see that we still have a long way to go. Article four says, no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. In 2019, the United Nations estimates that around 40 million people are currently enslaved around the world including in forced labour, human trafficking, commercial sexual exploitation and bonded servitude. And over 10 million of these people are children. In a report to the Human Rights Council in just September of this year, 
The special rapporteur on contemporary forms of slavery, Ermila Bula, reported that due to problems of environmental degradation, migration and shifting demographics, the scourge of modern day slavery is expected to grow. Article 16.2 of the Declaration says, marriage shall be entered into only with the free and full consent of the intending spouses. In 2019, the United Nations estimates that around 15 million people, including girls, boys, men and women, are in forced marriages. This is not to be confused with arranged marriages, where families you know, introduce couples uh, and then they give their consent. These are forced marriages where children and adults are threatened, pressured or deceived to marry and often harmed or even killed uh, if they object. Article 26.1 of the Declaration says everyone has the right to education. Education shall be free, at least in the elementary and fundamental stages, and elementary, which is our primary education, shall be compulsory. But in 2019, the United Nations estimates that 57 million primary age children remain out of school around the world. An estimated 50% of out of school children um, at primary school age live in conflict affected areas, as we could well imagine. And six, this, this number is staggering, 617 million youth around the world lack basic literacy and mathematical skills. And these statistics are all very close to my heart. Up until three years ago, uh, as Jill mentioned, I was working as a lawyer uh, for Anti-Slavery Australia, as well as pastoring our church. Um, Anti-Slavery is a human rights pro bono law firm uh, based at the University of Technology in Sydney. It offers free legal assistance to victims of trafficking, slavery, forced labour and forced marriage. And my particular area of work was forced marriage, uh, which became a federal crime in Australia in 2013. Contrary to popular belief, forced marriage does occur in Australia across quite a broad range uh, of ethnicities and a broad range of faiths, including our own. My role, uh, in addition to helping those who were uh, either still in Australia or who unfortunately, and this makes things a lot harder, uh, had been taken overseas, was to train frontline workers in health, education and law enforcement about the signs of forced marriage. Uh, we worked alongside a number of amazing organisations who were also doing great work in this area to combat forced marriage and other slavery-like practices. So as a lawyer and a Christian, it's my heart to see the integration of the gospel of Jesus and human rights, which has sometimes been viewed in more recent times, I think, as a bit of a secularised concept. But the Jesus I know, the Jesus I know is the one who treated and treats people with dignity and equality, who reached out to the other and loved those on the margins of society, right? In fact, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would still be the other unless your family is from a Jewish origin. The gospel is the quintessential story of God reaching out to all of humanity with love and grace which meant that Jesus himself took the justice that we deserved so that we could be one with God. Directly after Jesus had been baptised and then sent into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days, he went back to Nazareth, his childhood home, and while he was in the temple on the Sabbath, he read from the scroll in Isaiah 61, 
And this was to become the mandate for his ministry. And uh, I'm going to read it from uh, where it's recorded in Mark chapter 4 from verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And, you know, we see all through the Gospels and and later in the scriptures relating to the early church that this mandate was walked out on both a physical and a spiritual level. The physical blind seeing and the spiritually blind seeing. The physically oppressed set free and the spiritually oppressed set free. As followers of Jesus, this is our mandate as well as his church, right, as his body. Oh, there are so many scriptures that we could look at individually about the people that Jesus reached out to with grace and love, but of course time doesn't permit this morning. We could be here all day. The one that beautifully summarizes the approach of Jesus towards humanity is in a parable that he told about an injured man left for dead on the side of a road. Luke 10, 25 to 29. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, the lawyers, right? Always trying to test. By asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? Have you read it? And the man answered, Jesus had a great, had great way with words, right? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell a parable of two people who chose to walk on by without offering any assistance, a priest and a Levite, both representatives of the Jewish religious establishment. Instead, the one who stops and renders assistance is a Samaritan. And of course, Samaritans were despised by the Jews, and it would have offended the Jews listening to Jesus to hear this. The people listening to the story expected the Jewish men rather than the Samaritan to know how to live, you know, who knew how to live according to the law. They expected them to stop, not the Samaritan. So Jesus turns this expectation on its head. The Samaritan in the story is a social and religious outcast to those listening. It's incredible, actually. Putting the words neighbour and Samaritan in the same sentence seems to Jesus' audience like a contradiction in terms. How can good go with Samaritan? Whereas we hear it all the time now, right? It's amazing, but we have to take ourselves back into the context. And for them to, you know, good and Samaritan, they just did not go together for the, for the Jewish population. Jesus was ushering in the kingdom values with this parable and their worldview was being shaken and shifted and changed. And in verse 36, Jesus says, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. 
So Jesus not only confronted their notion of who the other was and who their neighbor was, he also messed up their thinking about who would be considered good by God for helping out. Oh, oh there's so much in that parable, I tell you. I preached a, a whole a couple of messages on it once. It's just so deep, it's incredible. So with the foreigner and outcast consideration from that parable, we think of some of the gospel accounts of Jesus interacting with others. The Samaritan woman that Jesus spoke to, you know, when we think about that context of Samaritan and we think that he spoke to a woman who was also a Samaritan uh, at the well in Mark 4. Think about the leper that he healed as recorded in Mark 1. The woman caught in adultery as recorded in John 8. In this recount, Jesus told her accusers that the one who had never sinned could throw the first stone. And when they all left, he said, if no one remains to condemn you, then neither do I. Jesus was actually the only one there that had never sinned. And yet he chose not to accuse her, nor to condemn her, but to love her and to restore her. Then there was the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, as recorded in Luke 8. He was a woman who was a complete outcast. She wasn't even supposed to be there in that crowd. Jesus not only healed her, but he restored her dignity by calling her daughter. In addition, Jesus spoke to and dined with rich but despised tax collectors, with the poorest of the poor, with the unwanted, the shamed, the other. So what should our response be as followers of Jesus? Sometimes it can all seem a little overwhelming when we hear of figures like 40 million people. We start to think, well, what can I do in my little area of the world? We'll never underestimate a gesture towards another that upholds or restores dignity, an action that supports equality or justice or freedom. The more that I've studied human rights and the more I've studied the scriptures, I've become convinced that as much as we have rights, even more importantly, we have responsibilities to one another as human beings. When I look at the life of Jesus, I see someone championing the rights of others more than he ever spoke about his own rights. And hey, he was the king of the universe, okay? He thought about others. Oh, you know, of course, if our own human rights are suffering, we need to take action and get support. But just as importantly, the human rights of the other, especially as Christians, I believe are our responsibility. If you see an injustice at work, speak up about it. If you don't think that somebody is being treated fairly, support that person. If you've got the opportunity to help a refugee family so that they experience a, a warm welcome and assistance in settling in, do that. If you're able to give up a few coffees this week to, you know, help out a, a local or overseas student be educated, do that too. If you have concerns about someone that you know who might be getting pressure them from their family to get married when they don't want to, speak up on their behalf. And I love your, your Christmas hampers through Community Links. It's fantastic. And, you know, even if you can... Um, Take one of those this morning and help a family this Christmas. That is, that's your part of taking responsibility for restoring dignity in the lives of others, right? So we can all play a part. We can all play a part. 
In doing these things, we're literally being Jesus to those that we encounter. Our workplaces, our schools, our neighbourhoods, streets, our unit blocks, our TAFE colleges, our universities, they're our mission field. We're Christ's representatives, his ambassadors, wherever we go. You know, there are so many ways that um, we can take responsibility to ensure that we care for humanity and our environment as Jesus would have us do. It's not okay for us just to look after our own interests and pretend that nothing's happening. As Pastor Rowan said in week one, I did listen to yours too, see, Rowan? He said it comes down to the condition of the heart being unselfish rather than selfish. And as the great Christian slavery abolitionist William Wilberforce said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. Once you see something, once you hear something, once you're given a statistic, now you know. And you can choose to look the other way, or you can choose to play your small part. And when we all play our small part, it makes a huge difference. You know, there's been a lot of conjecture across the global church over the years, and just as I've, I've been studying, keep studying, I need to stop studying, uh, just as to what is the key mission of the church, evangelism or social justice and human rights. I believe that in Jesus we see both and that we are called to both and that they are intertwined. In the Beatitudes recorded in Matthew 5, Jesus declares that those who hunger and thirst after justice will be satisfied, that those who are merciful will be shown mercy, and that those who work for peace will be called children of God. Jesus is declaring that the work of justice, mercy, and peace in society is integral to the good news of the gospel. And at its heart, the gospel is about transformed lives through Jesus. Yeah. I love it. As we come to a close, I want to read a beautiful scripture from Isaiah where God makes it so clear about his heart for justice. It's in the context of fasting and it really relates to what actions from us stir God's heart rather than a, a set of religious traditions, and I'm not saying don't fast here, okay? But rather than just be going through the motions of religious traditions and think that that's enough, you know, think that, oh, well, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, and do all of those things, they're great. But, but, but God wants us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He just, you know, someone described it, he wants us to be Jesus with skin on. He wants us to be Jesus in our communities, in our families, in our friendships. So I love it. Isaiah 58 from verse 6. In, this is in the message version. This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry inviting homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. I love this. Being available to your own families. Hey. So it's not always just about going out. Sometimes it's about being available to our own families, to our extended families, people that, that need our love and our care and our attention. Do this and the lights will turn on, and your lives will turn around at once. 
Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. See, it's all part and parcel, isn't it? It's not just just the big world-changing stuff. It's the small stuff, that's right. It's the small stuff as well. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. Wow. We have the privilege of partnering with Jesus in this age of grace. How wonderful is that? We have the opportunity, like no one before us in the course of human history, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, leading us and guiding us so that we can participate in both sharing the gospel and doing justice, so that both injustice decreases and so that hearts are renewed through a personal relationship with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that we can participate? We don't have to make a choice. We don't have to say either one or the other. We can do both. And we don't have to do it in our own strength. Who's happy about that? I'm so happy about that. <laughs> I'm so happy. I, was, uh, I, I preached um, last week about, you know, towards this end of the year when things are starting to sort of feel like they're speeding up a little bit for us to stay in step with the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit and, and be prepared for holy interruptions. Jesus was continually interrupted. You know, I just think about when he was, um, when, when he actually healed the woman who had, who'd been bleeding for 12 years, he had just, like he'd had a huge day that day and he was already on his way to go and, um, and see Jairus' daughter who was dying and he was interrupted. Holy interruptions led by the Holy Spirit give us opportunities to partner with Jesus right, in bringing this justice to the world and, uh, and loving people with grace and mercy. So praise God for that. So let's be people who are happy to be, uh, have holy interruptions in our lives, right? Fantastic. So when we treat people as part of one humanity and not the other, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus because that's exactly what he showed us to do. That's how he showed us to live. If I could have the musos up, that'd be fantastic. So you might be here today and thinking, if God is all about justice, why does he allow so much injustice in the world? Why doesn't he just step in and do something about it? Well, the answer is that he did do something about it. He sent his own son to take all of those sufferings and injustices upon himself on the cross and open the door for justice and reconciliation across the earth. And we still live in a broken world where sin and human selfishness still rules many people's lives. So injustice is still rampant, but through Jesus, there's an invitation for every person to be set free. And with every person who becomes a new creation through Jesus, their interactions with all of humanity changes. It's one life at a time. That's the other exciting thing, isn't it? For every person that we share the gospel with, their worldview changes, the way that they treat people changes. 
And, and that's the joy of seeing the gospel shared around the earth. We were all made with a free will. And even here we see that, you know, God is a God of justice. He gave us a free will. It's our choice to make. The work has been done. The work was finished on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. We all have that open invitation, but it's our choice. It's our free will. One day when Jesus returns, he'll restore everything to himself and justice will reign in all of the universe. Thanks for listening today. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash c3wallandilly.